Chapter 11 Heather looked for Snowman before Homer Monday morning, but he didn't seem to be there. Have you seen Snowman? she asked Lisa Holloway, a girl she recognized from Chorus. Who? Uh, Bill. Bill Jeffers. He's a new guy. Lisa shook her head. No new guys in this homeroom. He's pretty tall and has white hair, Heather persisted. Lisa shook her head. You sure he's supposed to be in here? Well, he said this was his homeroom, but he was probably confused, Heather said. Who isn't? Heather stepped back out into the crowded, noisy hallway and nearly collided with Ben. Fancy meeting you here, he said coldly. He was wearing black, straight-legged jeans and an oversized maroon sweater. He had his green book bag slung over his shoulder. Ben, hi! Hey, you remember my name. Ten points for you, Heather. Like to try for twenty? Give me a break, Ben. What's your problem? Your mother give you raw meat for breakfast again? He didn't laugh. He usually liked it when she cracked a joke like that. He considered it his effect on her. She never even tried to crack jokes before she met him. He shifted his book bag to the other shoulder and leaned one hand against the wall, blocking her path. I know where you were Saturday night, Heather. You weren't visiting your cousins like you said. Heather spalled hard. She was still half asleep. She didn't want a big confrontation with Ben now in the middle of the hall with half of Twin Valley High looking on. So that was you following us, she asked, sighing. Huh? I didn't follow you, he said angrily. I didn't have to follow you. What do you mean? Her hand suddenly felt ice cold. She had a feeling she knew what he was about to say. Your uncle told me you had a date with another guy. I could kill him, Heather screamed. Several kids turned to stare at her, surprised expressions on their faces. She could feel her face turning red. How could her uncle do that to her? Why did he do it? Just to embarrass her? Just out of sheer meanness? Look, Heather, if you want to go out with somebody else, well, I guess there's nothing I can do, Ben said, nervously freaking a hand back through his straight black hair, his dark eyes revealing their hurt. But, come on, you didn't have to lie to me, did you? Uncle James had no business telling you, Heather said, unable to control her fury at her uncle. That's not the point, Ben insisted angrily, raising his voice so that more heads turned from their lockers to see what the fuss was about. I don't care about your uncle. I care about you, and you lied to me. Heather started to say something, she wasn't sure what, but Ben didn't give her a chance. He made a disgusted face. We're supposed to trust each other, not sneak around with other people and tell each other lies. He clomped off down the hall, taking long, angry strides, his work boots thudding loudly against the hard floor. I didn't want to hurt Ben. I didn't want him to know, Heather thought. It was just one date, after all. Uncle James is such a meddler. He has no life of his own, so he's constantly interfering in mine. I could kill him. I really could. The bell rang just above her head, startling her. Hey, Heather, a girl called. You're going to be late. Heather didn't see who it was, didn't recognize the voice. She grabbed her book bag off the floor and hurried down the nearly empty hallway. Ben's hurt, angry face, his fiery black eyes, his accusing stare followed her all the way to her seat. She couldn't concentrate all morning. She found herself daydreaming, thinking of Snowman, of how nice he was and what a good time she'd had with him Saturday night. He turned out to be a much better dancer than he claimed. But of course that wasn't important. What mattered to Heather was that she felt so comfortable with him. It hadn't seemed like a first date at all. He seemed so understanding. He was such a good listener, and he was really interested in what she had to say. She didn't feel at all shy around him the way she did with other boys, even Ben sometimes. They danced for hours. Then he drove them to a Chinese restaurant just off the State University campus, where they had egg rolls and wonton soup, and talked comfortably, like old friends, as if they'd known each other for years. Heather had ended up telling him her whole life story, all about her unhappy life being brought up by her aunt and uncle, about her trust fund, and the checking account Uncle James wouldn't let her use. 
all about the restrictions, all of the rules, all of the problems she had to put up with because of her uncle. She even told him about the fantasies she had, fantasies of murdering her uncle. Snowman, it turned out, had a similar unhappy story to tell. His father's death had shocked the family. His mother had to devote all of her time to earning a living, to keeping the family together. She had little time to pay attention to Snowman and his little brother. Moving to Twin Valley had made her lives even more difficult. His mother was working two jobs, and there still didn't seem to be enough money to pay the bills each month. Snowman had even considered dropping out of school and getting a job to help out, but his mother had convinced him to stay in school. He had only just one year left, after all. When they kissed goodnight, Heather reached her arms around him and pulled him close. She already felt close to him. She wanted to feel even closer. He seemed a little surprised by the power of her emotion. Surprised and pleased. Then she whispered goodnight and ran into the house. Later, in bed, Heather drifted into an untroubled sleep and dreamed about snowy mountains. Uncle James didn't appear in her dreams once. The next morning, while her aunt was in church and her uncle was working on finishing the room over the garage, called Kim to tell her all about her date. Kim listened with a mixture of surprise, delight, and envy, her hoarse, scratchy voice sounding even more comical, so early in the morning. Now, sitting in English composition, not hearing a word Mrs. Leak was saying, Heather couldn't wait for lunch, so she could discuss Snowman with Kim even more. But lunch was a little disappointing. Kim mainly wanted to talk about Ben. He had called her on Sunday to find out what was going on with Heather, who this new guy was. Your uncle had no right to squeal like that, Kim said heatedly. Are you going to tell him off or what? Heather sighed. Tell Uncle James off? Are you kidding, Kim? He'd love that. It would give him an excuse to ground me for a month. Then what are you going to do? Aren't you even going to tell him to mind his own business, to let you have a little space? No, Heather said, poking at her macaroni and cheese with the bent tines of her fork. Know what I'm going to do? Nothing. I'm not going to mention it. That's the best way to get back at my uncle. It'll drive him crazy. You've got a lot more cool than me, Kim said, biting a crust off her peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I just know Uncle James, Heather said bitterly. I know his evil mind. I know his stupid power games. When he comes home after work tonight, he'll be dying for me to come yelling and screaming at him telling Ben about my date. Heather was right. She knew her uncle very well. At their solemn dinner table that night, he kept looking at her expectantly as if waiting for her to say something. But Heather refused to play his game. She talked to her aunt and pretended everything was just fine. Finally, Uncle James couldn't take it anymore. Are you going out with that albino again? he asked. James, really, Aunt Belle said, shaking her head disapprovingly. He ignored her and glared at Heather. Yeah, I guess, she said, eyes on her plate. He's not an albino. Could you pass the roast beef, please? He seemed very nice, very polite, Aunt Belle said, smiling nervously at Heather. He makes Ben look almost human, Uncle James said, snickering into his napkin. He turned to his wife. Pretty fancy dinner. It wasn't a compliment. It was a complaint. Guess you'd think we can afford roast beef every night of the week. It was on special, James, he said, passing the platter to Heather. Is it rare enough for you, dear? No. Is it ever? he grumbled. He swallowed a mouthful of cooked carrots, then turned back to Heather. You know, it's just as easy to go out with a boy with money as it is with some poor lout. Heather concentrated on her food and tried to ignore him. She just didn't want to get into a fight with her uncle over Snowman. Did you hear me? he asked, his thin voice rising in pitch. Yes, Heather muttered without looking at him. Something wrong with that boy. That white hair. It's not right. Must be nutritional or something. My cousin Adele had white hair from the time she was twelve, Aunt Belle said thoughtfully. Something wrong with her too, James said, scowling, pushing the boiled potatoes around on his plate. Poor Adele, Aunt Belle said mysteriously. May I be excused, Heather asked, and climbed quickly to her feet. You haven't finished what's on your plate, Uncle James said, pointing at her plate with his fork. I'm not very hungry, she said. She started to walk toward the dining room entranceway. 
I said, sit down and finish your plate, he growled. I'm 16 years old, Heather said, feeling herself lose control. I'm a little too old to be told what to eat and what not to eat. She hurried toward the door, but her uncle leaped up from his place, stepped away from the table, and grabbed her arm. Let go of me, Heather screamed. She tried to pull out of his grasp. James, let her go, Aunt Belle cried, very alarmed. I won't be spoken to like that in my own house, he bellowed. In a fury, he jerked her by the arm. She stumbled backward. As she fell, her back hit the corner of the mahogany dining room buffet. She cried out as a sharp, paralyzing step of pain coursed through her body. James, what have you done to her? Aunt Belle screamed, her open hands pressed against the sides of her face in horror. Chapter 12 Uncle James apologized grudgingly. Then he accused Heather of spoiling his dinner. Aunt Belle had to lead him to the den, where he collapsed on the couch, complaining of stomach pains, trying to make Heather feel guilty. Heather threw on her coat and hurried out of the house. Her back still ached as she drove to work. She knew she had a nasty bruise, but she was okay. It was the first time her uncle had ever hurt her physically. It was an accident, she realized, but she couldn't help feeling frightened. Why don't you die? Die, die, die! The words repeated in her mind as she pulled into the Twin Valley Mall parking lot. She wondered if Snowman would show up at the restaurant. She hoped he would. As she entered the ladies' room to put on her uniform, she found herself thinking of Ben. What should she do about Ben? She never had a problem like this. She knew she had to apologize. She didn't want Ben to be angry with her. He had acted so furious, so betrayed before school that morning. And of course, she had a right to feel betrayed. She had to make Ben understand. She had to make him forgive her. She wanted to keep going out with him. He was so nice, so understanding. He knew her so well. And he made her laugh. She really cared about Ben. But she also wanted to go out with Snowman again. He seemed so much more exciting to her now. What to do? She thought about it all through work. Her mind was half in the restaurant, half in her thoughts, and her eyes were on the doorway, watching for Snowman. He didn't come in that night. When Heather got home, she waited for her aunt and uncle to go up to their room. Then she sat down in the living room and called Ben. Her heart was thudding in her chest. She didn't really know what she was going to say. Ben didn't help make it any easier. He grunted into the phone, responding to her in monosyllabic replies. She apologized for making up the story about visiting her aunt's cousins. He remained silent. She said she still wanted to go out with him. That sounds okay, he said in a flat monotone. Can I be really honest with you? Heather asked, coiling the phone wire nervously around her wrist. Uh-oh, was Ben's only reply. I want to go out with Snowman too, she said. Who? Another boy. Silence. Come on, Ben, she said finally. I'm being totally honest with you. What am I supposed to say? Thank you, he snapped sarcastically. Ben, it's my turn to be honest, Heather. Don't call me any more. Goodbye. There was a loud click, followed by silence. After a few seconds, the dial tone buzzed in Heather's ear. She sat in the hard-backed armchair, the receiver in her hand. You yakking on the phone this late, Uncle James called from upstairs, his voice startling her. She dropped the receiver. It fell, pulling the phone to the floor with a loud clatter. I was just... Hang it up, unless you want to start paying the phone bills, he said. She heard him muttering under his breath as he padded back to his room. The next night, Snowman came into the restaurant, sliding his long legs under the table of the last booth. Heather finished taking an order and hurried down the row of booths to greet him. Hi! She suddenly felt shy. How's it going? he asked, giving her his best crinkly-eyed smile. He wore a black sweatshirt under his oversized overcoat. Not too bad tonight. Hold on, I've got to go put this order in. She tore the sheet off the pad and handed it through the kitchen window to Mel. Then she brought Snowman a hamburger and a Coke. Thanks. He began to eat hungrily. I looked for you in school yesterday morning, Heather said, watching the kitchen window. Oh, yeah? He didn't look up from his hamburger. I went to your homeroom, but you weren't there. 
I know. I uh had to stay home yesterday morning. Some family things. Oh? Is everything okay? Heather asked with real concern. Snowman just shrugged. His face didn't reveal any emotion. He brushed back his white hair. His dark eyes reflected the fluorescent ceiling lights. I asked this girl I know. She said you weren't in Looper's homeroom, Heather said, her eyes on the lookout for Mel. Yeah, I know. Do you think I could have some fries? I'm really starving. Sure, I guess. Wait until Mel gets away from the french fry machine. I'll get you a plate. You didn't have dinner? No, Mom had to work late, and they moved me. What? They moved me out of that homeroom. He pulled several paper napkins out of the dispenser and wiped ketchup from his cheek. That's why they don't know me there. Like you said, it was a sophomore homeroom. It was a mix-up. I'm not used to such a big school, you know. You can get lost in that place. He grinned up at her. Well, whose homeroom are you in now? Heather asked. He started to answer her, but she heard Mel hitting the bell, indicating that somebody's food was ready, and she hurried to pick it up. Things got busy, as they usually did right before closing, and Heather didn't have a chance to talk to Snowman anymore. Just before nine, she looked over to see him give her a wave, mouthing the words, thank you, and he walked out, his hands stuffed into the pockets of the long, 50s-style overcoat. Cleaning up his table, she found another folded-up piece of paper. This one had a little snowman drawn on it and the words, Meet me at Swan Park, Saturday afternoon. A short while later, she had changed into her street clothes, said goodnight to Marjorie and Mel, and headed across the vast, nearly empty parking lot to her car. It was a cold, moonless night. A strong, gusting wind had come down from the north, blowing sheets of powdery, loose snow across the lot. Heather ducked her head and jogged against the driving wind to her car. It took four tries to start it up. Uncle James had refused to give it a winter tune-up, saying that he couldn't afford it. The car had been protesting its ill-treatment all winter. Finally, Heather pulled out onto Valley Drive, her headlights piercing the darkness and the blowing snow. She had gone about six blocks when she noticed a car following closely behind her. It was a Taurus, a black Ford Taurus. Or maybe it just looked black because it was so dark on Valley Drive. Heather couldn't see the driver. I wish this clown wouldn't ride right on my tail, she thought, especially since there are still so many slippery patches on the road. When she turned off the century, she was surprised to see the Taurus turned with her. Is it following me? That was her first thought. Doesn't Ben's mother drive a Taurus? That was her second thought. Century was a wide avenue. Heather slowed down, pulling far to the right, and gave the Taurus a chance to pass. But the Taurus slowed down too. It didn't pass. Someone is following me, she thought, a feeling of dread making her shiver. Now I'm acting crazy, just like Snowman. She turned right at the next intersection. She wasn't sure what street it was. She just wanted to see if the car would follow. Yes. The black Taurus kept close behind her. Well, whoever it is isn't being very subtle about it, Heather thought. When people follow a car in the movies, they stay far back enough so the person doesn't become suspicious. It's got to be an amateur. It's got to be Ben. No, it can't be Ben. Ben wouldn't pull such a childish stunt like this, would he? She was safe in the car. Why did she feel so frightened? Because whoever it was, was trying to frighten her. Well, there's one way to prove if it's Ben or not, she thought, stepping on the gas. She was only a few blocks from his house. She'd drive there and see. Staring into the rearview mirror, she struggled to make out the face of the driver as she bolted through a four-way stop and roared onto Ben's block. But the windshield of the car behind her was covered in shadow, as if a dark curtain had been pulled over it. She couldn't even see if the car had a driver. Ben's house was three houses away on the left. She slowed as his driveway came into view. Was his mother's black Taurus in the drive? A yellow light over the garage threw a wide cone of light over the driveway. The Taurus wasn't there. The driveway was empty. Heather spun the wheel sharply to the left and pulled into the drive. The driver of the black Taurus must have been surprised by Heather's move. The Taurus's tires squealed and skidded over the pavement. 
Heather pulled her car to a stop halfway up the drive. She pushed open the car door and turned back toward the street, trying to get a good look at the black Taurus. But with a roar of acceleration, it sped away. The driver was a blur, surrounded by darkness. Heather climbed out of the car, breathing hard. She realized she was shaking all over. Maybe it was just some high school kid clowning around, she thought, trying to calm herself down. Or just some creep who got his kicks by scaring people at night. Or was it Ben? Her breath rose up in small puffs of white steam. She half walked, half ran up the flagstone walk to the front door and rang the bell. Are you home, Ben? Or was that you in the car? Silence. She rang the bell again. She backed up a few steps to look in the living room window. The house was completely dark. The porch light and the light over the garage were the only lights on. No one was home. Chapter 13 It had snowed all of Friday night, a fresh white covering for the graying snow already on the ground. Heather parked the car at the curb and crossed the street to the park, her boots sinking in over her ankles, making a pleasant crunching sound with each step. The air smelled clean and crispy and piney. Someone must have had a wood fire burning nearby. Heather inhaled a sweet, tangy aroma and smiled. Swan Park began on a gently sloping hill, which leveled into a wide, sweeping plateau with woods on the left and a small, oval-shaped lake on the right. Six or eight swans lived on the lake in the summer, which may have been the reason behind the park's name. The swans weren't there in the wintertime. Heather had always wondered where they went. She started up the low hill, which seemed much steeper because of the deep, slippery snow. There was no wind at all. Nothing moved. Heather suddenly felt as if she were in a painting of some kind. A painting of white on white. Everything clean and pure and unreal. Hey, Heather! She looked up to see Snowman waving to her from the top of the hill. Come on up. Isn't this great? He called, kicking at the snow. He looks like a long, skinny colt, she thought. A colt with a long mane of white hair. She started to jog up the hill, slipping and sliding, but making steady progress. He took both her hands when she neared the top and pulled her the rest of the way up, both of them slipping in a drift that came up to the top of their boots. So much snow, he said as Heather struggled to catch her breath. I'm just glad of one thing. What's that? Glad I don't have to shovel it. They both laughed. His dark eyes sparkled like black holes against the bright white surroundings. Like snowman eyes, she thought. Hey, this was a great idea, she said, her gloved hand still in his. What was? Coming here today. I would have just stayed home and moped around the house. He let go of her hands and started walking toward the woods, the dark trees all bare except for the covering of snow on their branches. Heather looked back to the lake. Several kids were having a snowball fight near the shore. Behind them, about a dozen people in bright reds and blues were ice skating on the frozen lake. It looks like a postcard or something, Heather said. It's too bright and corny to be true. Maybe it isn't true, Snowman said mysteriously, and kept leading the way to the woods. What's that supposed to mean, she asked, puzzled, hurrying to catch up with him. He didn't reply. Hey, let's build a snowman, she said, clapping her gloves together, watching her white, steamy breath sail up against the blue sky. I haven't built a snowman since I was a kid. Okay, great idea, he said, grinning back at her. I remember I once built a snowman in the front yard and put one of Uncle James's old hats on it. When he came home, he was furious. He punished me for ruining his hat. Can you believe that? And I knew he hadn't worn the hat in years. He's a bad dude, Snowman said, shaking his head. He had a long red wool scarf wrapped around his neck outside his overcoat. Where are we going? Heather asked, realizing they were just entering the woods. Just keep going, he said, ducking his head to avoid walking into a low tree branch. But we can't build a snowman in the woods, she protested. Come on, turn around. Let's build it down there, closer to the lake. I know a secret place, he said quietly. Their boots crunched over sticks and dried weeds buried under the snow. Somewhere nearby, a woodpecker tapped out a message high on a tree trunk. A secret place? You just moved here, Heather said, 
stepping over a fallen log, trying to keep up with him. How can you know a secret place? He laughed. I have my ways, he said in a funny foreign accent. But these woods go on forever, Heather protested. That's what I like about you. You're so trusting. Just chill out for a minute. We're almost there. Heather turned to look back as she continued walking. She couldn't see the lake anymore. They were too far into the woods, surrounded by barren, snow-covered trees, their limbs reaching out like arms to encircle her. She had a sudden tremor of doubt. Maybe this isn't such a smart thing, going deep into these woods, far from everyone else, with this stranger. But then she scolded herself for even momentarily thinking such a thing about Snowman. That's what you've done to me, Uncle James, she thought. You've made me suspicious of everyone. Oh! A chipmunk scampered right past her feet and disappeared into a hollow tree trunk. Did you see that? A chipmunk, she exclaimed. Snowman was several yards ahead of her, making a twisting path through the thick bushes and tall weeds. She walked in his footprints, keeping one eye on the ground, one eye on him. Almost there, he repeated quietly. You sound like my dentist, she said. Almost done. We're almost done. And then he goes on drilling for another twenty minutes. But then, suddenly, there they were. To Heather's surprise, the tree suddenly ended and they stepped out into a small, circular, flat clearing. Oh, it's so pretty, she exclaimed, standing in the center of it and twirling around, making the tree seem to whirl by. How did you ever find this place? It's so totally secluded. He just smiled. I thought it was a neat place, he said, retying the red scarf. Come on, let's build a really big snowman. They started with a small snowball. Heather rolled it until it was a little larger, and then a little larger, and then a little larger. Now it was big enough for both of them to roll together. It's great packing snow, snowman said, bumping into her as he tried to roll the big snowball. Just wet enough. Is this the head or the body, she asked. Let's try to do one with three parts, you know, a head and two body sections, he said excitedly, like in the cartoons. I feel like I'm in a cartoon or something, Heather said, pushing too hard and sliding right off the ball, face down into the snow. Now you look like you're in a cartoon, snowman said. How'd you do that? Just naturally graceful, she said, pulling herself up. He came over and helped brush the snow off the front of her down jacket. She thought maybe he was going to kiss her, but he returned to the snowball instead. Hey! She looked past him to the woods. What was that? Someone behind that tree. Yes. Someone was there. Someone was hiding behind that wide-eyed tree, spying on them. Hey, snowman, she called softly. He didn't hear her. She looked back into the woods. No one there now. Whoever it was had left. She listened. She couldn't hear any footsteps. No boots walking over the crackling sticks and weeds. She stared into the trees. No one. Nothing moved. I imagined it, she told herself. Of all the crazy things, who would be way up here in the woods? No one even knows this little clearing exists. She suddenly remembered the black Taurus that had followed her. Was this the same person? No, stop it. Don't make yourself crazy. There's no one there. She put it out of her mind and started a new snowball. This will be the head, she said. Too bad you didn't bring one of your uncle's hats, snowman joked. The afternoon sun was lowering behind the trees when they got the snowman finished. The air was picking up a wet, heavy chill. But Heather felt warm from her hard work. In fact, she was perspiring. It's real cute, she said, stepping back to admire their handiwork. A masterpiece, he said, standing very close to her. Well, let's not go too far, she said. It's a little lumpy, he admitted. But I like it anyway, she said, turning to him. As soon as she did, he wrapped his arms around her and lowered his face to hers and kissed her, softly at first, and then hungrily. She kissed him back, wrapping her arms around the back of his overcoat, holding onto him tightly. I don't want this afternoon to end, she thought, closing her eyes as if making a wish. This was the nicest afternoon of my life. Please, please don't let it end. But when she opened her eyes, Snowman pulled his face away, keeping his arms around her. I like you, he said, a lot.
I like you too, she said, feeling awkward but meaning it. This is our special place, he said softly. It's our special snowman, and our special place. No one knows it's here but us. She pulled his head back down and kissed him again. We'd better head back. It's getting dark, she said finally. I had a great afternoon, snowman. Me too, he said, his dark eyes burning into hers. Come on, you've got to lead the way out of these woods, she said, looking up at the darkening sky. Okay, no problem, he said. But instead of turning toward the road, he walked over to the snowman in the middle of the clearing. He turned and quickly drove his elbow into the snowman's head. The head toppled off the round white body and fell onto the snow with a quiet plop. Then, without uttering a word, Snowman turned back and started into the woods. Hey, why'd you do that? Heather asked, hurrying after him. He turned back to her, shrugged his shoulders, and flashed her his boyish grin.